This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at WVEW.org. And you're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon, we are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us both on Facebook and Instagram at Indigo Radio, and you can find our podcast on SoundCloud. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. My name is Anna Milani, and I'm a local educator and also a graduate student at UMass Amherst studying public health. And I'm here with Corey. And I'm Corey. I'm a teacher in Guilford. So last week's show was the commemoration of the nuclear bomb drop on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the devastating impacts of the nuclear testing done on Bikini Atoll Island between 1946 and 1954 by the United States. You can find that show on our Facebook and on our podcast. Today, we'll be airing an interview with Amani Sawari that was recorded last week from her home in Seattle. Amani is a writer, poet, and organizer working on behalf of the national prison strike that will take place starting August 21st and is running until September 9th. Amani was recruited by the group Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, an incarcerated group of prison rights advocates. She takes guidance from the group, and her website is hosting the strike, where you can find all of the information. S-A-W-A-R-I-M-I dot org slash national prison strike. And we can also put a link to that on our Facebook page. So I had an opportunity to interview Amani last week. And we're going to be playing that recording. I started the interview with asking Amani to give us an overview of the national prison strike coming up and how it came about. about. And we also talked about several of the demands from the official press release. For being on the show with us. And we are covering the national prison strike, which is beginning August 21st and going to September 9th. And I was hoping you could give us a general overview of the upcoming strike, how it came about, and any other information you want to share for our listeners. The National Prison Strike is a response to the massacre that occurred, a staff-induced massacre that occurred at the county correctional facility. But even broader than that, this strike is really a response to the oppression, the abuse, and the injustices that prisoners in the United States suffer from on a daily basis. Lee County was unique in that there were inmates that had access to cell phones. They had uh, the capability of recording and taking video and taking photos and also distributing those photos and videos on social media, mainly on Twitter. So, This was very important because now staff and prison officials couldn't lie about what happened in Lee, although they did try to minimize what happened, calling it a mass casualty incident when really it was um, a massacre on a large level. The violence lasted for well over seven hours into eight hours. Um, And there's no way that violence like that could happen if staff weren't complicit to that sort of violence. Mm -hmm. So prisoners responded to This is a correctional institute in South Carolina, right? Yes, this is in South Carolina. So Lee County, the the prisons in South Carolina, the prisoners who declared the strike 
jailhouse lawyers are out of South Carolina, but prisoners sort of picked up on this. Advocates and organizations picked up on this and are doing, participating in the strike across the country. Okay. And just to be clear, that happened, the Lee Correctional uh, Incident happened April 15th of this year, so it's very recent. Yes. And I know I was just watching something on it uh, before we started talking, and the way that they spoke about it was this inmate-on-inmate altercation. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk later about the way that those things are framed. First, can you – I know that it's been called on, the strike by the jailhouse lawyers speak. Can you tell us about what jailhouse lawyers speak do and how they organize? So jailhouse lawyers speak is a group of incarcerated, incarcerated individuals who have legal expertise and they regularly respond to current events that are happening in the country. And the way that they organize is through their connections with organizations like IWOC and IWW. After they have their statements, they usually, among a group, will come out with some sort of statement and a call. So, for example, the National Prison Strike, once that happened, they came out with their demands, and they sent those demands and that call to action out to organizations and individuals that they were connected with, and then those organizations spread that call among their membership, and then Mm -hmm. it kind of spreads like wildfire from there. Mm -hmm. And do you work with that organization? With Jailhouse Lawyers? Yeah. Is Is there people on the outside that work in collaboration with them? Yes. So Jailhouse Lawyers, the group in South Carolina, have their own, like, cell phone access to media. So they can, like, text me directly and say, hey, we need you to do this right now. Recently, <laughs> they just came out with um, with the response to the, the family separations in the detention centers, and they sent that out to sort of add to their call and mm-hmm. force that unity between what's happening there and what's happening um, in the prisons and the jails. So, yeah, that makes sense. One of the, I was looking at, there's an official list of demands. I think there's maybe, is there 10 list of demands? Yes. There's quite a number. Okay. And one of them is an immediate end to prison slavery is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's something that not a lot of people know about, that often people in prison are working for nothing or very little. And I know that I have um, talked with women here that have been incarcerated in Vermont and one of them Mm -hmm. was telling me that she had the highest paying job and she was I asked her what that was and she was working the night shift cleaning I think the kitchen Mm -hmm. and she was paid 40 cents an hour and that was the Mm -hmm. highest paying job Mm -hmm. so I would love for you to talk a little bit about that when we talk about the end of prison slavery what that means okay so um, most prisoners uh, like your the friend that you were talking about in Vermont, don't make more than, like, $2, especially not more than, like, $5 for a day of work. Um, And prison slavery just comes straight from our country's constitution. So the 13th Amendment, and it's said to abolish slavery, but really it wrote slavery into the constitution by giving it a place in our country and saying, Slavery isn't going to happen except in case of punishment. 
So mm-hmm. abolition doesn't have an exception clause. When something's abolished, it's gone, it's done, it's dead. There's no, oh, this is dead, except when. So slavery, prison slavery, was born, reborn, when that amendment was written. And so now mm-hmm. prisoners can be manipulated by these businesses. Most of the businesses are kind of on the outside coming in, sort of contracting that sort of labor. Businesses like Starbucks here in Washington, they have prisoners packaging their coffee um, here in Washington. The university that I graduated from, I didn't even know this until after I graduated, they have a contract with Walla Walla Penitentiary having the inmates make their furniture. So when the university needs furniture for the dorms or for the classrooms or for open areas, the correctional industries, the company that makes this furniture, has first dibs on getting that contract and making that furniture for the university. And this happens on a wide scale. Gas stations like Chevron and Shell, whenever they have oil spills, they have inmate cleanup crews come out. Um, When there are wildfires in California, they have um, inmates come and fight those fires. And these, they try to say, oh, we're, we're giving inmates these skills, but these aren't relevant skills in our society. And inmates mm-hmm. who fight fires, they can't come out and be firefighters. You can't have a criminal record right. as a firefighter. So it's really just a manipulative way for companies to have that sort of made-in-America stamp when really these sort of companies are using slavery to profit um, and have large profits. The biggest companies that we see, Victoria's Secret even, they use prison labor to have some of their garments sewn and things like that. So when prisoners have these these low-paying jobs, some people say, oh, well, prisoners don't need money. They don't spend money. What do they need money for? There are a lot of individual costs that a prisoner accrues over their time being incarcerated. Um, they have to right. pay to talk on the phone. In Michigan, phone calls are $3 for 15 minutes, but in places like Maryland, it goes up to $17 for 15 minutes. They have to pay for their health care. They have to pay for their dental care. They pay for extra food. People say, oh, well, they're served free meals. Well, the last meal is at 6 o'clock. I know I get hungry after 6 o'clock, so there's there's more food that needs to be purchased to supplement the night hours and things like that or snacks in between the day. They have to buy their shoes, their books, um, hygiene products, cosmetics, all kinds of individual costs that they accrue. And the majority of these individuals come from impoverished communities, so their families mm-hmm. can't send them money regularly. Sometimes they don't get family members to send them money at all. And a lot of the the costs that they have, the products that they buy, are, like, grossly overpriced because they can only buy from certain companies. And there are right. special taxes placed on sending things into the prison. And the prison makes – even if you send a prisoner money, like I know um, if I send money into Michigan, there's a, a fee on – the money that I send in, so they don't even get all that money. The prison gets a portion, and then they get a portion. So it's a money-making system, and it's a a draining system on the inmates. And then on top of that, they have these jobs that pay them nothing, if anything, like 10 cents, 40 cents at the highest. And it's it's really just a catch-22 in all levels. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up that 
information about people thinking like, what do they need money for anyway? Because that mm-hmm. idea definitely goes around. So that information you shared is really helpful to understand better, you know, what's going on in these unfair working conditions. Yeah. The other thing I want to ask then related to that is that I know that one of the actions that inmates will participate in is work stoppages. Mm-hmm. And how can those work stoppages be effective or what could be a consequence of uh, inmates stopping work? So when inmates stop work, operations in the prison shut down almost completely because inmates are the ones, like you said, cleaning the kitchens, cleaning the common areas, doing pretty much everything in the prison. And if they refuse to do those things, then the prison has ceased in its ability to operate effectively, which is has caused in the past certain prisons to shut down when prisons continuously riot and riot and riot. The prison just can't function. Wardens get fired. They get let go because they can't control their population. It's really a very successful strategy on shutting down a prison completely when the prisoners work together to do these work stoppages. And then for the businesses that come in from the outside, they're also seeing decrease in their profits because they're not getting their license plates made on time. They're not getting their coffee bags made on time. The cleanup crew is refusing to clean. So if they pull out of that, they're, they're depending on prisoners to make, make these products and, and complete these services. And when prisoners pull out of doing that, there's a detrimental effect on these companies' profits. They're depending on prisoners to work for 10 cents a day so that they can make millions of dollars a year. If they're forced to look outside of the prison industry for work, they're going to have to pay at least minimum wage or mm-hmm. move their products uh, workforce out overseas, which a lot of Americans frown upon. But like I said, a lot of the made in America stuff is made in prisons. So it's, exactly. it's no better. We, we frown upon the, the sweatshops overseas. We've got sweatshops right around the corner in our, in our local region. That's a great point. And so there's huge potential profit loss. Yeah. And the hope is that there will be a, then a response to that. Right. And when you mess right. with, with money, there's definitely a response. Mm-hmm. So I want to switch gears on another issue that I would love for you to respond to. I'm just going to read this. So demand number six is an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to just read you a quote that, is from an interview with a jailhouse lawyer after mm-hmm. the tragedy in South Carolina. And he said, they also point to the dehumanization of prisoners and challenge our conception of gangs, which does not take into account the ways in which incarcerated people are forced to create their own collective means for safety, survival, in a situation where hope is the scarcest commodity. Mm-hmm. And so I would love for you to talk about what are they – what does it mean by racist gang enhancement? And then how does that relate to South Carolina and how that was talked about? So racist gang enhancement is pretty much the act of classifying individuals based on their gang affiliation. Really, the word gang and thug started getting used a ton once people couldn't really be uh, targeted for race-based 
slavery or segregation. It was like, okay, we got to label them something else. We got to label them a thug. Mm-hmm. Then from thug, they can be a criminal. Thugs are in gangs. Thugs are violent. Thugs will kill. They create this persona, even in the media, mainstream media created this, this black, saggy panted, gun slinging thug that everyone was afraid of. And you could really just associate with any black boy. That's why young black boys, they lose their, their innocence so young that we see them handcuffed way more than we would see like a young white boy handcuffed. And it's mm-hmm. because of this sort of gang association, this stereotype of like violent criminal behavior. And prison environments force these type of affiliations, even onto those who weren't in gangs before they became incarcerated, as hard as that may be for some to believe. Not everyone who is in prison was in a gang prior. But in prison, like you said, being a part of a gang is considered a form of insurance. It's, it's the only form of stability, especially mm-hmm. when hope is scarce, when you don't know when you're getting out, you don't know who's going to save you. There's no proper grievance procedures if, you know, you're attacked or if you're stabbed, if you're wounded, if you feel threatened. Who who do you tell if you know that your staff is probably going to instigate a violent situation? But in prison, being a part of a gang, is, is it becomes your source of stability and your source of protection when you can't find that in the staff or in the correction officers who are supposed to be protecting you. And then those who refuse to become involved in gangs, they often find themselves isolated or targeted, which is very, very hard when you're already in a prison isolation within isolation is torture and then Mm -hmm. prison staff use these gang rivalries as their excuse in the breakout of any incident so for example in lee county it was you know they're fighting they're in gangs they're they're criminals they're fighting over cell phones they're fighting over territory you know and this sort of absolves all staff responsibility in most cases of negligence or abuse so yeah, gang exactly. affiliations are often used to invalidate inmates' concerns or requests, and it's a type mm-hmm. of labeling that results in dehumanization on all levels. Yeah, yeah, right. So the official narrative coming out of there is this quote-unquote gang-related. Yeah. And then it doesn't at all, exactly what you're saying, it's not talking at all about the inhumane and dehumanizing conditions that breed this kind of situation where you're saying right. these people need safety um, mm-hmm. and support. And so I think that's an um, an interesting thing to for people to think on and talk about because of the stereotypes of people that are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you is about re- rehabilitation services because I know within the demands uh, it is also taking up the issue of rehabilitation. What, in your opinion? should that look like and and what are they asking for around that prisoners want to see classes they want to see relevant training they want to see self-development workshops classes related to parenting or even cooking or um just things that help develop them as individuals and uh educate them college courses, really anything that you see in your college college catalog, we should be able to see some of those things for our incarcerated individuals. A lot of those men and women didn't have the opportunity to go to school or um, be involved in classes or different types of workshops, self-development things. So when they go to prison, 
they should be able to be introduced to those types of things. We should be wanting to develop strong entrepreneurs and, and working people instead of criminals. When we look at the, the type of resources that are available in the prison, which is like little to nothing, we constantly see uh, programs being cut for different uh, departments of correction. When we look at that, we can see how the prison system is breeding more aggressive individuals rather than breeding people who are, are conflict, can resolve conflict and solve problems and come up with solutions. So prisoners just, just want to have access to things that they didn't have access to when they were on the outside, maybe because they, they couldn't afford to go to college or their parents couldn't afford to send them there or they just they just didn't know how to go about uh, registering or whatever the case may be. We need to be, have those resources available for when they get to prison. This is the perfect time to introduce them to a new way of thinking and a new way of life rather than further instigating, like, violence and uh, resistance. Uh, and, and we see some classes in some prisons, but really, like in Michigan, we're spending $40,000 a year on a prisoner. My entire college education was $36,000 over the course of mm -hmm. the four years. So we should mm -hmm. be able to see some lecturers come in, do some workshops, teach some classes. You should be able to provide them with books. Like, where is all this money going? It's going into adding more corrections officers and, and further instigating those violent situations so that they can say, oh, we need more police here because they keep getting violent. They don't have anything to, anything else to do, you know? If they had classes, if they had other other resources and things in there, then they'd have things to do <laughs> and uh, a reason to have that that hope kind of grow within them. They're growing and developing as people rather than just sitting around and, like, instigating fights, you know. In Lee, they took away uh, prisoners' lockers. I didn't mention this earlier, but that further instigated that violence because – you got rival gangs in the same cell, and now they have nowhere safe to put their belongings, and they have no one safe to, to advocate for them or to respond if they get hurt. So right. a lot of those deaths were completely avoidable. They just mm -hmm. sort of sat around and didn't provide medical attention quickly enough, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. they bled out and died. And this is it's gross. So we need to have we need to be putting resources into the prisons that that sort of grow and develop these the best parts of individuals rather than starving those those good parts of individuals and then feeding that aggression. And the aggressiveness right. was fed in Lee County and we saw that in, in in the results of what happened there. All right. If you're just joining us, we are airing an interview with Amani Sawari who works on behalf of Jailhouse Lawyers Speak where they have called a national prison strike from August 21st to September 29th, September 9th. We're going to take a break with a Nina Simone song singing uh, uh, lyrics written by Bob Dylan, I Shall Be Released. They say every distance is not near So worry 
must fall So I swear I see my reflection shall be released and this is indigo radio you're listening to every sunday at noon i'm anna i'm with Corey in the studio and we have been airing an interview with amani sawari who is working on behalf of jailhouse lawyers speak and there is a national prison strike coming up august 21st and running till september 9th so we're going to play the second part of the interview that part is we talk a little bit about youth about George Jackson and who he was and what he means to the movement and also how people on the outside can support this strike. And we'll be back after the second part. Yeah, and you know, everything that you're saying makes me think about the parallels to schools. And at Indigo Radio, all of us are teachers and mm -hmm. we talk a lot about education and just thinking about how much money is increasingly going to security around schools and yeah. cuts to actual education and books and the infrastructure of schools. And so thinking about that in that larger sense, or also like how much money we give to police and the military and community programs are being cut or people are without homes. Um, and I think that the prison is sort of another microcosm of this, of where is the money being funneled, and it's being funneled to more security and to more of the apparatus of the institution. Yeah, and we saw this in Seattle, too, two years ago. So in 2016, public education was defunded by $74 million, and then the new youth jail, which is being built right next to the, the current youth detention center, costs 
210 million. So it's like, okay, we're seeing seeing the education uh, funds go down, but now this huge jail is being built. Obviously, money was shifted into incarcerating youth rather than educating them. And it's this sort of illusion of safety that keeps us going, okay, you know, you can never have too many officers, you can never have too many prisons, but you can never have too many schools, you can never have too many teachers. Why aren't we paying our teachers more and hiring more teachers instead of corrections officers? So it's just really sort of, we can look at our country's trend and see that why is the value in security higher than the value in in educating? Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Someone's profiting what? off of things being, you know, shifted in this direction. And it's, it's yeah. big businesses that we see yeah. making all this money. Yeah. And what is the, I'm just curious now that you said this, the, there's a youth jail being yes. constructed in Seattle? Yes. So it's, it's called a, a family justice center, but it has cells in it just like a jail would. So they, um, they're building that right next to the detention center. It's going to have a court in it as well. And it's just a more secure facility for them to place children in who are incarcerated. I currently volunteer as a poet teacher in the detention center. And there have been a lot of protests and demonstrations surrounding, you know, stop the construction of this youth jail. Just before they moved this money from the public schools into the youth jail, there was, um, uh, Dow Constantine, our current mayor, had a, a, a no child, no more incarcerating children policy. It was, okay, we're not going to jail any more kids. And then that following year, they funded building a new youth jail. So it was just a really gross, hypocritical yeah. thing that happened. Now that you mentioned, sorry, you said that you're a poet and you did, you, you did poetry um, yes. or you work with people. So we just, last week on Indigo Radio, we had Martina Spada on. Um, oh, nice. The um, Latino poet. He also works at UMass Amherst. And mm-hmm. we were talking a lot about the use of poetry and resistance. And so I would yes. <laughs> now love just to ask you, is there a way that you use your poetry around these issues? Oh, yeah. Um, one of the things that we really do, and the, the poetry project that I work for is called Pongo Poetry Project. It's based in Seattle, um, and it's founded by Richard Gold, who teaches his methods of using poetry as a form of healing for children um, and adults um, around the world. He's got international projects that use his methods. And what we do is we show students that Although you might not be able to use your voice in the way that you were prior to when you were incarcerated, you do have a voice, and here is a channel of using it. Here is a new channel that you can use. Here is a new tool that you can pick up, and it's it's a weapon. Like, if you have to be in this situation, you may as well be prepared with the right resources to kind of fight back. And every single year at the end of our teaching these poetry methods and writing poems with them, we have a um, a recital, an open night, where we allow community members to come in and hear these students' voices, read their own work, and it's a beautiful event. And students wow. will talk about where they're from, what they've been through, what their goals are in the form of poetry. 
And it's a really eye-opening experience because a lot of people hear this specific narrative about juveniles and students who are sitting in detention. And when they actually get to see a student read their own work and, and say their own narrative and tell their own story, it's a very powerful thing because we don't give incarcerated people a voice. We don't allow them to speak, which is why these stereotypes continue to persist. And these mm -hmm. negative narratives continue to fuel this illusion, this need for security because we don't let them speak. And the biggest thing with this strike is that it's led by incarcerated individuals. And what mm -hmm. I love about this is that we're letting them speak through us. They're the mouth and we're just the feet. We're just doing the running so that we can put these flyers up for them and let more people know that this is happening so that their ears are open when the prisoners speak and they're going to be yeah. speaking. And it's gonna be loud. Actually, yeah, no, that's great. And that actually um, leads into my next question for you, which was how can people on the outside help get the words of people on the inside about the strike? So a really big thing um, that people have been doing is different types of demonstrations, whether these are rallies, or noise demos outside of prisons or marches, just really being in front of the people in mass. And what I tell people who are interested in participating in the strike is to go to the webpage, thewarimi.org, click National Prison Strike at the top, and then there's an endorsement and solidarity tab on the side. There's where you'll find a list of endorsers. There's over 100 by now, and there'll probably be more by the time this interview is live. Look there to see where there's an endorser in your region and ask them what events they're doing because they're going okay. to be hosting something and just show up, show up, be there, whether you're there to um, take photos and post on your social media or you're there to, like, stand up in the front or just grab a pamphlet, grab a handful of stickers and put them in different areas uh, around your community, print out some flyers and just put them in different spots because we need as many people to know that this is happening before the strike begins so that people mm -hmm. are watching when it does begin. And then mm -hmm. when it does begin, one of the biggest things that we can do is if there are prisoners suffering from retaliation and there have already been some prisoners who have been moved um, across the state borders, like Kevin Rashid Johnson, um, he's been moved from Pennsylvania to Texas, um, and there have been other prisoners who have been moved into solitary confinement. When these cases of retaliation come out, um, I just posted an article on SwarmMe.org listing, listing the prisoners who have just been retaliated against. We need to do those call-ins, calling those facilities and demanding that they be moved back and letting sure. them know, like, we are watching these guys. If something happens to them, you better know a storm is coming. And mm -hmm. when riots happen, wardens get fired. Officers get let go. People, things happen in response to our voice. They need to know that we're listening. They might not be listening to the prisoners directly, but they're going to be forced to listen when we tell them that we are listening and we yeah. amplify their voices through our actions. So just find an event that's happening in your area, and if there's not one, just post some flyers and post some stickers so that people in your area know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Great. And just to be clear, uh, these prisoners have been moved in retaliation or intimidation because of knowledge yes. about the strike. Okay. Because because of their uh, organizing efforts surrounding the strike, some of them have been interviewed and staff have heard their interviews, and they have been cited with organizing work stoppages, which is exactly mm -hmm. what's happening. Um, they're organizing 
a strike. And because of that, they're being moved, but they're not organizing any sort of violence. They're not organizing any sort of aggression or gang-related attacks or anything like that. Nothing that they're doing is violent, and nothing that they're doing is going to cause hurt or harm. We are just trying to make our voices heard and in the prison industrial complex. Like, we're just yeah. trying to end mass incarceration, which is something that everyone should want. But because corrections officers are getting more jobs, warden salaries are growing, and businesses are making billions, there are some um, people on the other end of wanting this to continue. And then also, you know, the ignorant people who feel safer because there are more people in prison. Just because there are mm-hmm. more people in prison doesn't mean society is safer. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you about George Jackson. So jailhouse mm-hmm. lawyers speak, Twitter and Facebook account. There's a picture and a quote from George Jackson. So for listeners that may not know who George Jackson is, can you tell us about George Jackson, who he was, what lessons we can take from him, what he means to the movement, and the significance of the strike beginning on August 21st? Okay. So George Jackson is a revolutionary, and he was also a political prisoner and a freedom fighter. And he was assassinated on August 21st, 1971, at San Quentin Prison. So the strike begins on the, I think it's 40th anniversary of his death. And we mark this day as a day of remembrance of him and the spirit of him as a revolutionary and a freedom fighter. He was a self-educated revolutionary, and he led mobilization of prisoners through the establishment of organizations like the Third World Coalition. But he was a leader in unifying the the divisiveness that that prison sort of tried to um, uh, a cause by saying, like, what gang are you in, housing people based on race and things like that. Prisons are a very divisive institution, and as soon as someone sort of crosses borders, it can insinuate violence. But what George Jackson did that was so unique and so inspirational is that he was intentional intentional about reaching out to rival groups and saying, these injustices unify us. And if we don't come together on this, we will be completely oppressed. And so he was able to sort of widen that narrative and open other prisoners' eyes and seeing, you know, we have to work together. So Jackson was a huge threat to the perceived security of the prison because of his willingness to reach across um, racial barriers, social barriers, and and reaching into um, rival groups to unify them. So Jackson represents a force to be reckoned with, a person who's unafraid to speak even when they're tied down. And many prisoners' voices are being tied down and suppressed by threats of retaliation. But jailhouse lawyer speak, which uses George Jackson um, as a symbol, is that unrestrained voice, just as he was. And just as he did, jailhouse lawyers speak also organizes the people at all costs, regardless of the perceived consequences. And George Jackson wasn't afraid. That's why he had to be assassinated. It didn't matter if they put him in solitary confinement. It didn't matter how long they made his sentence. He was incarcerated for stealing something that was less than $70, and when he died, he was in prison for 11 years for that. Mm-hmm. So they just And he had spent, I think, seven over seven years in solitary. Yes. The majority of his time in prison was in solitary, and he still, oh. he, he authored books. He uh, 
created coalitions between rival groups, started uh, unifying people that would have never even thought to work together on a cause. And that was very inspirational, and it continues to inspire prisoners today. And this is a spirit that jailhouse lawyers hold today. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing that they use him as a symbol and that they use the date of his death as a date of, like, bringing back and, like, re rebirthing this revolution that that prison officials thought they ended with his death when really they just sparked this entire new fire. And it's amazing to think about the fear and the threat of George Jackson and how much they tried to squash him because of Mm -hmm. the stuff that he was doing. I mean, the fact that they kept him imprisoned and put him in solitary, they wanted to silence him because of his message and his politics and to show just how much a threat that can be um, when prisoners actually come together is, I think, really astounding. Yeah, it's astounding. It's, like, breathtaking. It leaves me in awe. And it's it's encouraging for prisoners who are currently being retaliated against. They Mm -hmm. obviously have this George Jackson spirit, and that's, that's inspiring. That's encouraging. It's motivating. And you know, like, when they're retaliating against you, you see your power more clearly. Okay, they're moving yeah. me, so I, my voice is being heard. I know it is. Like, people are calling yeah, on my behalf. Right. People are striking for me. Things are moving, and there's nothing that officials can do about it except try to make me feel unsafe. And we've got, we and as a whole have their back, so. Yeah. And also just how, uh, I've been thinking about a lot about how resistance comes in so many different ways. And I think this is also a, another good example of that. The last thing I just want to say here is that also just to make note that it goes until September 9th, which is the anniversary of the Attica prison uprising, which I'm mm-hmm. guessing was, was picked specifically also. Is that correct? Yes. And that was in September of 1971 and 39 prisoners and guards died they brought in the state troopers into that and i th- i believe that that was also an uprising about the conditions within the prison is that correct? right yes okay i want to ask amani is there anything that i haven't asked that you want to share with us or anything else that you want to make sure our listeners know one more thing that i want to add for um outside support is a call for people to boycott companies that are using prison slave labor. A lot of people don't know that the coffee that they buy every single day is supporting this mass incarceration issue or that the gas that they buy is supporting this issue. And supporting even policies like longer sentences, truth and sentencing laws and stuff like that, our dollars are our vote in the U.S. Prisoners are fighting for the right to vote. They don't have the power to have any sort of political influence on what's going on. So it's up to us to, because we have the privilege of spending money where we want, to just make the conscious choice. You know, until Starbucks divests from prison slavery, I'm not purchasing coffee anymore. I haven't gone Mm -hmm. to Starbucks in years. I haven't gone to McDonald's in years because I refuse to purchase fries at a place that keeps the, the system going that advocates for people having longer uh, sentences, that advocates for 
uh, prison slavery that would dare to pay a citizen of our country who has a family, who has a spouse, who has children to support, that dares to pay them 10 cents an hour for their time. And then on top of that, lobbies for them having longer sentences in that sort of situation. I refuse. So I urge people to look up the companies in their area that use prison slave labor and to boycott those companies and to be intentional about it. When I found, that, found out that Bank of America was involved, I went there, I closed my account, I asked for all my money, and when they asked me why, I told them, why do you guys use prison slave labor? And the, the teller was shocked. She was speechless. She might have not even known. But right. that's what we have yeah. to do. We have to be intentional about it. We have to say it. Prisons make people uncomfortable. When we mention it, maybe they shouldn't exist since they're such an uncomfortable institution. You know? So yeah. that's the call that I would I would tell people. That would be the last point. Um, there is, I think, also a lot of power in the, the boycott, divest, sanctions movement, right? So I, I think yeah. that's also a thing that we've seen. You know, we saw a lot of that around Standing Rock. You know, throughout history, there's been a lot of that. So it's a good thing also to look into. And can you tell me, or and you can probably send it to me later, but is there a good website that lists a lot of these companies? Yes. And I also um, have some, some short articles that list some of these companies. But um, okay. what I'll do is I'll send you some links. Perfect. But it really is... A simple Google search, prisons, um, I mean, companies that that use prison slave labor. And uh, you'll see exactly how it's tied together. Companies like AT&T will use prisoners as their customer service. Um, I mentioned the oil spillage companies, the, um, the Victoria's Secret, Starbucks, the fast food companies, even places like Wendy's. Like, it's all over the place. The same way that slavery affected the majority of the economic sphere back during the chattel slave era, it affects the majority of our economic sphere today, and you have to be pretty intentional uh, intentional about resisting it. And when we're all intentional about it, then these companies will um, will respond by mm-hmm. divesting because they want to make money. Mm-hmm. If we stop giving them money, then they will stop using these unjust ways of making money. And also, companies who choose to use prison slave labor, they also make other environmentally unsound choices, like, you know, these companies that use uh, prison work crews for their oil spills. They they cause oil spills. Like, they're, they're doing things that are, like, environmentally unsound and economically unsound. Uh, because they just have that sort of spirit. They're, they're bigger about making money than serving the community of their consumers. So when mm-hmm. you start looking into those things, you start to see other things and you realize, right. okay, this is the type of place that I want to be giving my business to. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense, right? Because it's the, I mean, it's an economic system based on making as much money as you can. And so that, of course, right. is going to push human needs aside if money is to be made, right? So, right, right. Yeah, I think a lot about that. A, a system doesn't have emotions or care about human conditions. It just, the actual functioning of it is to make profit. Right. Thank you for all of that. That's really helpful. And, but Amani, I want to thank you so much for your time and for all the work. Thank you. That you're doing. Yes. And for all the information that you shared. And we will definitely be following the strike and, looking at updates and posting that, um, making sure that information gets out there. Yes, I really appreciate it. Like, 
this is going to let a lot of people know about what's happening, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and figure out what's going on and sort of find a way to advocate for prisoners through the platform that you have. That's amazing. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I can't wait to hear the show. Okay, and this is Anna and Corey back in the studio. We want to, again, just to give a shout-out to Amani uh, in Seattle that spent a good chunk of time with me last week talking about the upcoming prison strike. And also uh, thank you to Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. They are the group of incarcerated prison rights advocates, and so they are using Amani's website as the platform to host all the information about the strike. We did just put that up on Facebook, so if you want to check that out and learn more about the strike, you can. And there are also countless other people um, within prisons and jails that are organizing and working, and so we want to just um, give them a shout-out and say that Indigo Radio and Brattleboro Solidarity are with you, and we're going to be following this. Uh, The other thing I want to say is that Brattleboro Solidarity is working on some plans to host some sort of event around um, the prison strike between August 21st and September 9th. So there'll be more information coming out on that. And for listeners that maybe uh, don't know some of the statistics in Vermont, so Vermont has uh, over, well, close to 2,000 men and women are incarcerated within seven different correctional facilities around the state. And additionally, Vermont pays an out-of-state institution in Pennsylvania to currently hold over 270 Vermonters due to overcrowding here. It's also important to note that this institution in Pennsylvania has had widespread reports of inadequate medical care, poor living conditions, uh, and few opportunities for rehabilitation. And there's a lot of information on Vermont statistic on the website Vermonters for Criminal Justice Reform. So if people are interested in that, they can also check that out. But as it's well known, the U.S. holds the world's largest prison population. There's about 2.2 million people are in prison or jail in the U.S. And incarceration has actually risen more than 500% over the past 40 years in the U.S. And I think it's also uh, important to know that 2.2 million is the number of people in prisons or jails, but that there is around 4.5 million on top of that, that people are uh, on probation or parole. So there's, there's other ways that people are also entangled within the criminal justice system. Corey, do you have any thoughts? Well, you know, I'm just, while you were talking, I was looking up some of these uh, companies that are supporting the prison slave labor and like a lot of these companies are nearby whole foods has $12 tilapia that you thought you were buying from sustainable American family farms, but they're raised by prisoners in Colorado who are paid as little as 74 cents a day and fancy goat cheese. The goats were raised and milked by prisoners too. more local ones. Walmart, not surprising. Also just thinking Amazon owns Whole Foods. Yeah. Eddie Bauer, Wendy's, 
Johnson and Johnson. And when I look at Johnson and Johnson, I'm thinking about when I was making my retirement plan for the school that I work at. There, there are these different options of where I can put my money into to invest for my retirement plan. And there was a socially conscious plan. And I asked what companies the socially conscious um, plan put money into, and Johnson and Johnson was one of them. So it's kind of interesting, like these these terms like fair trade and socially conscious that are put into things like prison slave labor. Right. And it's this, I think, really invisible thing around who makes uh, or packages. I mean, thinking about the thing that Amani mentioned, um, that she didn't know that some of the furniture at her university, that furniture was made by prison labor. And I thought she made a great point about, you know, sweatshops in the third world and that there's slave labor conditions here in the U.S. So, again, it's great information. I'd say look up that website if you want to know more about the national strike, and we definitely will be following it, so we can also be putting up updates. Corey, you want to tell us about, we're going to go out with a song? Yeah, we're going to go out with a song by Public Enemy. The song is Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos, and then we'll uh, listen to a clip from one of our underwriters, and Make sure you tune in next week on Indigo Radio. Anna and Marisa, I believe, are going to be talking about the local primary results. Yeah, and we're going to have town rep H.B. Lizotto on the show with us, uh, town representative of District 2, and we'll be talking about the results of the primaries. Uh, election day is on Tuesday. Great, and here's Public Enemy. Thank you. You could say real rock from the rock, an unusual musical happening in a most unusual place. The state prison I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here is a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me and myself because they never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute it occurred to me. The suckers had authority. Cold sweating as I dwell in my cell. How long has it been? They got me sitting in a state bin. I gotta get out, but that thought was thought before. I contemplated a plan on the cell floor. I'm not a fugitive on the run, but a brother like me begun to be another one. Public enemy serving time, they drew the line, y'all. They criticized me for some crime. Nevertheless, they could not understand that I'm a black man and I can never be a veteran. On the strength of situations unreal, I got a raw deal. So I'm looking for the steal. I'm going for that. Innocent because I'm militant, posing a threat. You better.
government yeah. My plan said I had to get out and break north Just like Oliver's neck, I had to get off My boys had the feds in check, they couldn't try nothing We had a force to instigate a prison riot This is what it takes for peace, so I just took the peace Black for black, it's high time to cut the leash Freedom to get out to the ghetto, no sellout Six CEOs we got, we ought to put their head out But I'll give them a chance, cause I'm civilized As for rest of the world, they can't realize a cell is hell I'm a rebel, so I rebel Between bars, got me thinking like an animal Got a woman CEO to call me a copter She tried to get away, and I popped her twice Right? No one to get nice I had six CEOs, and now it's five to go And I'm serious, call me delirious But I'm still a captive I gotta rap this time to break as time grows a tent. I got my steel in my right hand. Now I'm looking for the fence. Hey yo, Chuck, I got the dope plan in effect. G word to the stuff, man. I'm looking for that fence. Into the courtyard, followed by 52 brothers, bruised, battered, and scarred, but hard. Going out with a bang, ready to bang out the power from the sky, from the tower. Shots rang out. A high number of dose, yes, and something close. I figure I trigger my steel stand and hold my post. This is what I mean, an anti nigga machine. If I come out alive, then they won't come clean. Then I threw up, my steel bullets flew up. Into my surprise, the wall and tower blew up. Who shot? What? Who? What? The bazooka was who? Into my rescue. It was the S1W to kill my getaway So I just got away the joint broke from the black smoke Then they saw it was rougher than the average bluffer Cause the steel was black, the attitude exact Now the chase is on, telling you to come on 53 brothers on the run And we are 